Hey there, thank you so much for joining us for the Big Time Talker podcast. We're everywhere now, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartMedia, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You should be able to find us there. New episodes every Tuesday, and the show is made possible by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com. They are the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you are a meeting planner, or maybe you're a platform speaker, you can find one another at the virtual marketplace there at speakermatch.com. And uh, big-time talkers like to talk to big-time personalities. This week, it's a big-time filmmaker. Uh, He's a documentary filmmaker. The new movie is fantastic. I had a chance to check it out. It's called South Beach Shark Club. Robert Ramos joins us today. Robert, what a fun film. Yeah, man. Thanks, Perk. Appreciate it, man. So this is a documentary, um, and it's about a lot of different things. And I took a lot of different messages away from it. But first of all, it's just it's a joy to watch. When people meet you and they say, hey, what is your movie about? What say you? Well, typically I start with uh, kind of like a comparable, which is Dogtown and Z-Boys. It's kind of like a history of this counterculture in the 1970s in Miami Beach. It revolved around the beach, around the pier, um, around like these young kids, most of them like Cuban immigrants that kind of just slept on the beach and were like the first wave of young people to grow up there uh, at that time where so much was changing and, you know, they were fishing, surfing, and kind of just being beach bums. They didn't really see a future for themselves at that time. So it's it's kind of like a... This kind of gave them some structure in uh, how they navigated that landscape of uh, Miami Beach in the 70s throughout the 80s, 90s. And they found that within like the shark fishing community of all things. Very bizarre, you know, a story that is, you know, very unique to South Florida. Uh, It's like the version of Dogtown and Z-Boys of South Florida. You know, there's no good surf and there's not consistent good surf in South Florida and there's no downhill. So you don't have like, you know that surf and skate scene was not thriving. A lot of people went to California uh, chasing that. And these are kind of the guys who stuck around and they built this little community that's very bizarre. And I, I think, you know, people would be really interested to hear about it and and uh, see uh, some of like the uniqueness of it um, as it pertains to this small community of people in, in South Florida. The movie uh, is out and it's, it's being screened around the country. Um, Robert Ramos is our, our guest, and he put this this uh, really unique documentary together about unique individuals uh, in Miami Beach. And, you know, for folks from around the country that may not have been there, um, Miami Beach is, is very much thought of as, as what you see on, on TV. You might think, you know, Miami Vice, you might think uh, old school Fountain Blue Hotel and Frank Sinatra, but there is this, this undercurrent of really interesting cats. And there was a time in the 1970s where a big part of that area, I guess, was not sort of the upscale lifestyles of the rich and famous kind of place that we all think of it as. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, at that time, Miami Beach had kind of become like downtrodden. It was not a very appealing place to be or live at that time. The heyday with Jackie Gleason and the Fountain Blue and the Rat Pack that had already passed, you know, a couple of hurricanes, tourism just kind of shifted to other destinations like Orlando, the Bahamas, Caribbean, things like that. And then you start having this influx of, you know, people retiring from the Northeast and all these old people who didn't have a lot of money that could find affordable housing on the beach on Ocean Drive of all places. Right now, Ocean Drive is like, you know, the Bourbon Street of Miami Beach. It's 
it's crazy. It's just partying and stuff. Back then it was, you know, uh, old hotels that were converted into studio apartments for, you know, retirees. And, and then you just have this, you know, small group of, you know, young kids there. I think in the movie, it says that, uh, per square footage or per the size of the island that is Miami beach, it was like the oldest population in the world. So, um, it, it's, it had not become a very appealing place to live or, or it should, could, could have been very bizarre as like a, a young person growing up there. So as, as you might imagine, you've seen the film, uh, this is, uh, you know, just, just something that's, uh, very peculiar and, uh, and you had a really rough area, group yeah. of people that moved in with all the, the retirees and senior citizens as well. Uh, yeah. And initially it seems like, you know, it was a little more fun and like, uh, lighthearted and like over time, there's like all this kind of, uh, uh, rough around the edges stuff that was going on. You know, there was the Mario Boatlift where, you know, Fel Castro opened the prisons in Cuba and there was a lot of uh, kind of like the Scarface era in Miami Beach. Um, and then also in the 90s, there's a lot of drug trafficking in the, in the early 90s as well and, and, and gangs and all kinds of stuff that, you know, it's kind of swept under the rug by the people trying to promote the tourism down there. But um, it, it's kind of like, you know, we have the view of that through the eyes of these shark fishermen and these, these locals that, uh, you know, grew up there in the seventies when it was a little more peaceful and, and kind of surfy and fishing town. And, you know, you get to see the evolution of the city through their eyes in the movie. The movie is South beach shark club. Robert Ramos is the director and filmmaker behind this thing. And uh, you talk about some of those colorful characters uh, that, that populate this film. You have, you have those guys and you also have this treasure trove of great archival footage from back in the day of, uh, you know, TV stories that were done about these guys who were shark fishing uh, off the piers and off the bridges there. Uh, and I was curious as I watched the movie, how you were able to get your hands on this old footage from back in the day. Yeah. I mean, that, that old footage made it possible to make the movie. So this was a story that I was told and that, you know, I didn't, I don't want to say I lived it entirely, but I did see a lot of it with my uncles and my father, they were personally involved with, uh, that whole little fishing scene down there uh, south of Fifth Street in Miami Beach. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, when, I, when I started diving into the archives, um, I found, you know, some of these videos that were specific to some of the people involved in this. And so that made it all possible uh, to start dreaming about it and actually start pursuing this as a, a feature length film. You know, initially it was a short film. So, you know, we, we just scratched the surface with the archival and we made a short film. It had a lot of success. It actually was on PBS and, um, you know, it, it enabled us to, to create a feature length version of it, but little by little and little by little, I mean, over six years, we were unearthing archival footage from everywhere. Um, one of the main sources was the Wolfsonian archives in, uh, Miami Dade college actually oversees the archives. It's just a treasure trove of, of footage of, uh, South Florida and Miami beach from, I mean, as far back as the 40s and maybe even before that, but a lot of good stuff in the 70s uh, that you see in the movie and a lot of things that are just very peculiar and that, that most people probably have never seen before. That's what I like the most about this, this movie, Robert, is that it's, it's sort of this time and place with this wild stew of you've got, you know, the big uh, South Florida Jewish population. You've got these mm -hmm. Cuban immigrants are in that stew. You got the, the skate punks. You've got these shark fishermen 
who are young guys and you know they're going after these massive sharks of course everybody talks about shark week now on discovery this is that kind of footage too so it's just a, it's a really unique take um of that region are are you from there you said you have family connections of people i guess who are, are characters in the film but I, I don't know how you got interested in the whole story yeah so um <laughs> yeah I, I was born and raised in miami beach uh which in itself is uh <laughs> very unique in itself too. I mean, Miami beach is a strange place to grow up as a kid in the nineties, which is when I grew up down there. So these yeah. were stories that were handed down to me kind of. And so I kind of looked at it like even the, the actual uh, nature of the film, the making of the film is kind of like from the perspective of a, a kid being told these stories and how, uh, you know, kind of romanticizing this uh, life of sleeping on the beach and just waiting for the hit and, you know, and nothing else. Like really these guys were, you know, <laughs> just trying to outdo each other and, uh, you know, spend most of their days just, uh, you know, trying to catch fish and, and sharks and, uh, <laughs> and hanging out being beach bums. Most of them. Well, yeah. Beach bums and, uh, beach bums with a purpose, right? Like there's a guy sure. that you feature in the film, I think the character's name is Jimbo and, and he's still right. out there today. He's like 70, but he he's taken it upon himself to mentor all these kids from troubled homes and kind of give them this purpose of shark fishing and give them a place to go. And what a unique character that guy is. Yeah, totally. His, his philosophy on life is it, it, it's extremely intriguing. And I spent a lot of time with Jimbo actually sleeping on the bridges, which was like, you know, process of making this film. We just, you know, we hung out with Jimbo all the time. But yeah, he uh, he represents a different mindset from the other one of the other main characters, which is Renee. You know, Renee's self-obsessed. He is like just a complete freak for sharks. Like all at, at one point, all he cared about was just catching the biggest shark he could. So there's a story from obsession. And then alternatively, there's a story of Jimbo, who is very selfless and takes it upon himself to take in these kids and teach them a skill, you know, someone who might not see a way out of a certain situation, uh, kids that are quite literally off the street or were in gangs or mixed up with drugs or the wrong people. And, and Jimbo, uh, you know, takes them under his wing and teaches them a skill and something that teaches you patience, discipline. And, um, uh, it's it, it's very cool. I mean, uh, the Jimbo story. We we love Jimbo. Jimbo's like I feel like he's family after making this thing. So you got to see him in this movie. Um, it's a documentary, South Beach Shark Club, uh, and not just any documentary. I mean, this thing is being screened at the uh, the most important doc film festival in America, Doc NYC. Um, so congratulations on that, by the way. Yeah, thanks, Burke. We appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, we're really excited to be here at Doc NYC, biggest documentary festival in the country. I can tell you that much. One of the biggest in the world. And um, yeah, we're really excited to show the film here. Uh, we're staying with some friends right now in Brooklyn. And uh, I don't know uh, if you guys could hear, uh, but there's a child in here. He's running around screaming. I don't know <laughs> what's going on, but you know, it's it's really it's really fun. We're excited to be here. We're mobilizing our, our little South uh, Florida community up here and, and others who are, you know, first time viewers and, and people who might be interested in hearing about this uh, very unique subculture that uh, they've probably never been exposed to, especially when they think of Miami Beach and, uh, you know, what it's been portrayed like in the media the last 30 years, probably completely different. Years. And that's yeah. one of the great things about the movie. It's it gives you a, a sort of a peek behind the curtain. It's like the Wizard of Oz in that way, you know. Um, 
when you went to Jimbo, who's one of the main characters in the documentary, and some of these other guys, uh, you know, who were talking about things that that happened to them in the 70s, the 80s, and you said, hey, man, I want to make a movie about you and your shark fishing. What is their reaction? What do they say to you? Get out of here. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that having seen this documentary, what this guy, Jimbo, who's who's sort of this Rastafarian, uh, you know, Zen-like guy, what does he say to you? That's a great question, man. And it was really, it was, it was tough, man. Like, you know, to get everyone's trust and, you know, these aren't guys that you could really just approach off the street, really. Like it is kind of like a gang. It's kind of, it's a club, you know, yeah. quote unquote. So, yeah. um, and, and Jimbo, the people get worried sometimes being portrayed on, on film like that. So we had to gain their trust and it happened through, you know, when we were shooting the short film, I just cut up really quickly. We did one day of, sh- actually, I think this was before we did any shooting. I cut up like a little two, three minute trailer with some like Led Zeppelin and like some Buffalo Springfield and all these like cool bands from back in the day that I knew they liked. And I just cut up this uh, little fast paced uh, trailer for them with all the shark fishing and archival footage. And they were so excited and they realized that was, you know, going to do them justice. And I, I just wanted to portray them as they are, man, uh, you know. And so that once they realized that, they really opened up and, and Jimbo let us follow him around. And we would spend, you know, upwards of three days on a bridge with Jimbo hanging out in a thunderstorm underneath a tarp, you know, not even <laughs> being able to film, you know, listening to music and, and hanging out with a very small, dedicated crew. Also, shout out to them because, you know, it would not be possible without them. And they really roughed it out for us. So. That's the glamour of show business they don't tell you about in filmmaking school, right? <laughs> exactly, man. But. So, yeah, what, a so cool, what a cool time. <laughs> one of the things that I learned in this movie, and I learned a lot um, and was entertained while I was learning, which is the best thing, right? Is mm-hmm. I learned that with the shark fishermen, one of the ways that they chum the waters for the shark is they, they send people out on surfboards lying on top of bloody bait. That's crazy to me. That's crazy talk. Just coming out of my mouth, that's crazy talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious, man. Uh, The way way it's and you have footage of this. You you actually have film of this happening. This is not anything made up for the movie. No, it's not. Um, Well, yeah, back in the day, uh, before people were using kayaks, uh, they pretty much used whatever they could get their hands on. They used inflatable boats, aluminum boats. And a lot of times surfboards, since the surfing community had an overlap with the fishing community. A lot of times the people who would surf were fishermen, were skateboarders, were divers. And so they'd use these surfboards. Uh, you know, they'd go out in the daytime, go spear fishing, spear a bunch of barracudas or big Jack Crevel. Those are fish native to South Florida, you know, or Bonitas sometimes walk the fishing docks and buy like, you know, uh, the fish that... Uh, were not like, you know, table suitable for like table food and they'd use it, you know, for, for the shark bait. So they bring it back to the pier, uh, cut it in half usually because you do want some blood in the water when you're fishing for sharks, as you might imagine. And wow. they cut it in half, hook it onto a, a, a line and paddle it out into the surf. And so these guys would be paddling it out. Oh, 200 yards. And the guy on, uh, on the shore would be waving. Nah, go further, go further. And so if you went further, and you did what the guy in the shore told you to do, then you would have like a better chance of kind of like letting these guys, uh, you know, mentor you and hang out with you. They're like, oh, this guy's good. And they'd call it a, they call, they had like nicknames for everything. In the movie, it talks about it. You know, they call them Geno's because I guess there's a, a pizza place down the street called Geno's. 
And so and that's they just give them means. a number, right? Your Geno number yeah. four, your Geno yeah. number 17. <laughs> yeah. So they use it as like a hierarchy system to kind of rank them and like kind of uh, incentivize them to paddle out these bloody baits further into the surf and bigger baits. And like, you know, that's what it was all about. So, yeah, it, it, it is true. They did paddle them out like that. They weren't necessarily chumming the water with it. It's just kind of like a situational. They just happen to be chumming the water because there is a bunch of blood <laughs> all over the bait. But um. Yeah, they, they, the whole goal was just to get that line out there real far into the surf, past, past the surf and into the current so that they could uh, have a good shot at getting the biggest shark they could. A lot of these guys uh, are not like Jimbo, though. You know, Jimbo, as I said, he, he sort of has this Zen-like quality. He's like a blue-collar, uh, you know, Jesus Christ figure, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but the other guys, I mean, these are pretty rough guys coming up, and and now they're in their forties and their fifties, uh, some of them, and you talk to them, were there any of them that, that, uh, you as a filmmaker were afraid to approach that you were reticent to talk to? What were they kind of like it as grown guys? Yeah. I mean, growing up in Miami, Miami beach, I've met a lot of different characters, so it's not that different uh from some of the people i've met growing up i went to public school and high school and so right, some of these right. characters have been uh you know around <laughs> i've been around them before but yeah i mean they're they're um definitely some edgy characters and definitely some people who are mixed up in the wrong crowds that uh you know since then have found a way out of it but and, and mostly through uh the fishing community did um when you were doing this movie the movie by the way south beach shark club uh incredible documentary screening at doc nyc and that's where the uh the filmmaker robert ramos is right now to uh to screen that film when you were, were filming this thing did you or your crew actually see any of the guys latch onto a shark did any of that happen while you were there um well yeah they did they caught some sharks um and all the sharks that were caught on film were released safely and swam off. Um, and we brought them in very quickly. Um, it was, it was, it was really cool. I mean, these guys kind of have changed their, they totally have changed their tune since back in the day. Um, so that nobody got bitten by a shark or anything like that, if that's what you're asking, but there were some situations that, I mean, these guys are like walking sharks back into the water, like, you know, two guys holding a shark, making sure it swims back out and, you know, revive the fish and make sure it gets on its way. So there was definitely some interesting and sketchy uh, <laughs> times while we were making this. That things well, that's like that cool happen. though that you got to actually see it happen. And these are not these are not tiny little sharks that you show in the film, right? <laughs> no, they're not. no, they're not. A lot of times we were in the water trying to help them. So wow. some of the crew had to uh, you know expand their roles um, on this on this film set. So it very certainly uh, something different from. Uh, most uh, documentaries, it's, it's, it required a different uh, and maybe a new learning uh, skill set there, learning how to release sharks back into the ocean safely. <laughs> when you guys yeah. opened this movie at the, uh, the Miami International Film Festival, I bet people lost their minds. They must have thought it was the greatest <laughs> thing ever. They, actually, yeah, it was. It, it, it's pretty surreal being here right now and in New York for Doc NYC. And it was very surreal showing it in Miami, in our hometown. Uh, we sold out. The theater on the first day, they had to open a second theater and it, people were hooting and hollering and the, the eclectic crowd of biker guys and skateboarding dudes that are, you know, from from back in the day, they're now, you know, in their 50s and 60s. And, you know, then their kids and and different families who their uncle was involved with this. And 
I mean, it was just like just a bunch of uh, <laughs> a very wide, uh, broad audience of uh, misfits and and just Miami to the bone people who were there and, and populating that audience. And they were going crazy, man. I mean, at some times you couldn't even hear the movies. <laughs> I love know, it. Was, well, it's got to be a thing for, for those guys to see themselves on the big screen and see their story told after all these years. Hey, you mentioned something that, that I wanted to ask you about before we move past it. You talked about how they do it completely differently now. So uh, as I saw in the movie, you know, back in the day, these guys who, who were shark fishermen, young guys, you know, they would reel them in and, and cut them up. Now it's a catch and release thing, right? Yeah, it's all, it's right now. It's all catch and release back then. There were no regulations on uh shark fishing and, you know, it, it's, it's touched upon in the movie, but they kind of saw it as like a way out. Like they would, you know, they would sell the sharks. Actually, they had some kind of value. They'd use them for like a, it for bait for crab traps. So they sell them to crab and lobster fishermen. They, right. would, they actually turn them into all kinds of different, uh, to, to different markets and things like that, actually for food as well. But um, nowadays uh, it's all catch and release. Um, they're very, you know, careful to make sure that they can uh, like keep their sport alive. And so there's like a, this, this big movement for, you know, the, the uh, FWC Florida fish and wildlife working with the shark fishermen to make sure the regulations are, you know, uh, upheld and they're using the best practices and they're fishing these days. You know, if you, uh, if you go to Florida on vacation in South Florida and you see these guys uh, on a bridge somewhere who are fishing or uh, on a pier, now the backstory has been made into a movie and it's an amazing backstory. South beach shark club, Robert Ramos, the filmmaker joins us uh, on the big time talker podcast to talk about this new movie. Um, let me ask you about the craft. How did you get into filmmaking? So, yeah, I've been making a, you know, when I was a kid, you hear these stories, you know, your, your parents have like a handheld camera and you kind of uh, just hang out around the house and make sketches and stuff. I was a big SNL fan when I was a kid. So we used to do a bunch of sketch comedy. I've been to writing and narrative filmmaking since high school, you know, um, worked in the school news, you know, doing mostly editing back then. And then, uh, yeah, I went to California to go to film school, mostly uh, for like my theory classes. So I was like taking like classes on Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick. And I was at uh, Santa Monica College down in uh, L.A. And then uh, came back to Miami and kind of got disillusioned with the whole filmmaking and being an artist thing. I was a musician as well. And I started working on boats. So I actually became wow. a diver. I used to do diving for I used to do aquaculture. So I would uh, grow. What is that? Lobster. I'm sorry. What is that? Yeah, aquaculture is like it, there's different kinds of aquaculture. So some could be fish farming. What we were doing specifically was uh, growing live rock for fish tanks. Okay. So okay. for saltwater aquariums. And so I got involved with that, and I worked my way up to becoming the captain of the boat. And from there, I had a fishing charter business. I mean, I used to do luxury charters. I've driven boats in movies. I drove a cigarette speedboat and in some movies in Miami, and and then uh, kind of got you know at some point i was just like i think it's time to go back into the film thing i actually have a story to tell you know i traveled to the med i, I did all over i, I traveled all over the caribbean puerto rico dominican republic bahamas and so like uh, by the time i decided to go back to film school i felt like i had a story to tell again and uh just jumped right back into it and at, at some point I, I i just realized that i was i was only in narrative filmmaking at the time and i just realized that if i don't tell this story 
uh, about South Beach Shark Club and this history of Miami Beach that it would probably be gone forever. So let me get these guys while they're still around and, you know, get them in front of a camera, cue people in on the Miami beach that they never knew existed. The, the one of the, one of the true identities of Miami beach that's kind of lost. So. Completely lost. And that's again, one of my favorite parts of this movie, South beach shark club screened at the 2022 Miami international film festival. People went nuts. Now it's screening <laughs> in New York city. Um, what's next for you? Well, we're working on a couple uh, narrative projects, actually. Um, so my writing partner and I are writing a miniseries that's kind of like a Yellowstone meets White Lotus. It's a, it's a Miami-centric uh, narrative series, and it's about all the political shenanigans down there and a lot of the wacky characters down in the Keys and that sort of thing, you know, in, in the style of... Uh, uh, it's kind of like some of like the Carl Heiss and noirs and, uh, some of the Billy Corbin stories that you hear about, uh, nice. he's another director down in Miami beach. Um, but yeah, so we're working on that at the moment. Do you, um, with, with South beach shark club, do you visualize this documentary? Um, you said that the, the short film was on PBS. Do you visualize this someday on uh, a streaming platform? How will people around the country be able to see this movie in, in your ideal world? And I know sometimes that's kind of out of the filmmaker's control, but if you could wave a magic Robert wand, what would you want <laughs> this movie to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the subject matter is really interesting. And I, I think it, although it is niche, I think that a lot of people would be surprised to uh, to learn and see and, and witness some of this uh, this counterculture of Miami beach. And I really hope that we get on a major streaming platform. That would be great. So right now, you know, we're talking to distributors and hoping that, you know, we can get this on a major, just uh, a major platform, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, call me. <laughs> <laughs> Make it happen. If you're listening right now, pay attention. The movie is beautifully shot. Uh, of course, the scenery can't be beat in South Florida. You capture it really well. And it's great how you sort of juxtapose that beautiful scenery with the grittiness of the people and some of the locations that you show as well. Hey, I want to ask you one more question about a, a story that, that you brought out in the film, and that is the story of, of one of your main characters and his encounter, uh, his name is Rene, his encounter with a great white and a capsized boat. So tell me <laughs> about how you found out about that story and maybe give us the, the cliff notes version of that story. Oh man. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy. The first time I heard that story, it's like, you mean like you're, I was like, you mean you're just talking about jaws? Like that never really happened. And they're like, well, I mean, he says it happened. And you know, a lot of like everyone off the boat said it happened. And there was these articles that were written and allegedly there's footage of, of them getting rescued. And, you know, so we just went down that rabbit hole and, you know, little by little started unearthing some of this stuff. But yeah, basically this guy gets so obsessed uh, with shark fishing. Uh, I would say, you know, one of the main characters, Rene de Dios. And uh, yeah, he uh, he goes out on a very small boat, a 20 foot boat out to the Bahamas uh, to set the record for the biggest shark ever caught on rod and reel. They actually arrived in Bimini, which is like the border town of the Bahamas. And they yep. immediately went to the Marina office and they said, we need the paperwork for, uh, for the international game fishing association for the world record, like to like fill out the paperwork. They're like, look, just bring us the fish and then you could have the paperwork. And they laughed them out of the office. You know, it so happens that they went out that night and they did hook a massive great white shark. 
that they fought for 14 hours on a boat um, into the night. And uh, they had some problems, I guess, mechanical issues. I mean, this was not, let's say, it was not a nice boat, let's just say. Yeah, and not and a so, large boat either. It was not a big no, boat. It was a rinky-dinky boat. Most of the time, that's what these guys had. We're not talking about, like, you know, the kind of boats you see running around Miami these days in the Bay. But um, so they had some mechanical issues. The captain went to sleep, and when uh, the angler woke him up, when Renee woke him up, he was like, hey, I got a little water in the boat. And the captain was like, what do you mean water in my boat? He opened up the hatch uh, below uh, deck and, and the bilge pumps weren't working. The whole boat was filled with water. Uh, allegedly, from what the captain says, uh, Rene tried to bring in the shark. He locked the line and that pressure from the shark and with all the water in the back of the boat, it flipped the boat and they capsized it. So from there, they were out at sea for two and a half days, um, you know, just clinging on to life. Rene was diabetic, too, actually. So he was like quite literally dying out there. And uh, it's just a fascinating story. It's Jaws, essentially. It's a real life Jaws. An amazing story. And just one of the ones that you'll hear uh, and see in South Beach Shark Club, the new documentary from Robert Ramos hopefully on a streaming platform near you soon. In the meantime, is there a website that folks can go and take a look and get uh, trailers and, and footage on the movie? Sure. Absolutely. It's uh southbeachsharkclub.com. There's a bunch of media there. You can also follow us on Instagram at South Beach Shark Club and on TikTok for the kiddies South Beach Shark Club as well. So there's a ton of media on it and uh, you're going to see some stuff that you've never seen before in a Miami beach. That's kind of been uh forgotten and now uh you know brought up to the surface by our film and yeah hope you guys enjoyed and, and please check that out brought up to the surface i see what you did there good yeah. oceanic <laughs> reference that's my new friend robert ramos in the movie i cannot recommend it more highly south beach shark club check it out and thank you for checking us out on the big time docker <laughs> podcast today Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Speaker Match, for sponsoring the show. And thank you, Robert, for being on the program. Oh, thank you, Burke. You rock, man. Cheers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.